Amen. Well, welcome to church. My name is Travis, lead pastor here at Antioch. So thankful that you are here to join us today. Uh, it's a good day to be in the house of God. We are in a series called Rhythm of Revival, as Andy mentioned a moment ago. And uh, one of the things that makes me think of is out of Galatians 5. Uh, there is uh, a passage there that has long become a prayer of mine that I would be a man who stays in step with the Spirit. And so we talk about this rhythm of revival that we stay in step with the Spirit. When He speeds up, we speed up. When He slows down, I want to slow down. When He veers left, that's where I want to go. When He veers right, I want to stay in step with the Spirit. Over the years, uh, one of the things I've said is that marriage has, be has been, for me, one of the places that I've, I've learned that. And, and really, you could say that for any relationship of people that you work or, or walk or work or live closely with. But it becomes that way because, uh, you, you know, the staying in step with the Spirit is a moment-by-moment -moment, uh, type of reality, and, and so in marriage, because of the, the, the covenant that you've made and the, the, the closeness of proximity to which you live, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly that you see in one another, it provides every opportunity for you to press into the Holy Spirit, just say, okay, what, what do I do now? Especially in the, in the ways of the conflict that you may have, conversations with a little rub to them, or uh, you know, seasons in life where you're, you're, you're growing and, and learning more about one another, I've, I found that what an opportunity there is to, to just press in and say, okay, what, what do I say in this situation? I've already said some things that I shouldn't have said. I need to just stop and say, Holy Spirit, what do I need, what, what do I need to say now? You, and, and as you do that, you're just learning kind of as you go, like, hey, I don't want to say anything that Holy Spirit is not leading me to say. Usually it's pretty simple. Things like, hey, I'm sorry, right? Or I was wrong. And, and you know, these kind of things. Or, or maybe things like, hey, I, 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 can, I can see how you're, you're feeling about that and you wanna come and identify with it. And, uh, and, and, and the thing is, while that's all well and good, sometimes you don't feel like saying those things. Right? You're like, hey, I got my biggest amen yet. You don't feel like it, right? Like, I don't want to express uh, that, how, how, that I care about how you're feeling because I just want you to know how I'm feeling right now. And, and so I'm not, really to, I'm not really wanting to go there. And so there, there is this, this struggle to stay in step with the Spirit. There's a struggle to, to go after, in, in marriage, what we would call intimacy, you know, this place um, that, that to broaden that out amongst friendships, among kids and parents and, and whatever else, we're, we, we would call it something like unity, where there, there, there's a, a, a in, in a marriage, you call it what, a union, it's a union. And so you're, you're going after intimacy, after unity in that way, and, and we know that it's a fight, that, that it's not easy, that, that we, we like to be right, we like for people to care about how we feel about something. And yet it, with unity, sometimes we have to, to drop that at the door and just say, I, I care more about unity than being right. And, and, and so um, it, it says in Romans 12, 18, this, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. All right, so there's a little bit of a mandate there for every one of us as we talk about our subject for today, namely unity. 
And, and each week over the, the last several weeks, we've been looking at different elements, different ways of positioning ourselves as the people of God before God in such a way that he might pour out his spirit upon us, in such a way that we might see a move of God, experience the favor, the hand, the grace of God. And, and to do that, we've looked at different revivals throughout the biblical narrative, times where God has showed up and met his people as they've cried out to him. And there's, there's different elements in all of these uh, biblical revivals uh, that we have focused in on. Now, every one of these revivals that we've looked at have had, have had more than one element of prayer or humility or thanksgiving or, or you know, repentance, things like that. Um, but we've, we've taken the opportunity to really focus in on an individual element a different way, an individual way of positioning ourselves before, the, before God that we've seen God respond to in Scripture by, by reviving His people. Amen. And so today we're going to look at the, the, the positioning of unity. And, and really there, there is something here on the, the unity in, in the body of Christ because Romans 12 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you to make peace with all. Okay, so there is a call to unity, to, to unify, uh, to, to make peace with all people. But when it comes then even more so to the church, there is a mandate that we see throughout Scripture. There is a, a beckoning, I would say, in the heart of God for us, his people, his bride, his body, the family of God, these different analogies to, to live in unity with one another. And it, it's not something that's going to be solved here on a Sunday morning where we're just going to say like, oh, we're, we're all in unity now. I, I think actually there is, is something uh, on this, this message that, that God wants to elaborate on in the days and weeks to come, probably in the spring, looking more at what God's wanting to speak to unity because the kind of unity that we're talking about is not just like, oh, we all get along and we can come in on a Sunday morning and say, hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Oh, bless your family. Oh, good to see your kid. It's, it's a little more than that. If that's all it was, man, we, we could get, we've, we've got that down. But, the, but there's more to that that the church, the, the big C church, has to learn about biblical Christian unity that, that God's looking for. And so we, we wanna begin going after that. Again, it's not gonna be figured out today, but I hope at the very least that, that, that uh, God whets our appetite for being a people who are given to biblical unity the way that God desires, okay? And so uh, I, I hope we get stirred up a little bit today. We're gonna be in, in the Bible this morning in the book of Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, maybe not the place you thought we would go to look at unity, but, but, but I think we're gonna find out something here that, that's, um, that's gonna encourage us, okay? Acts chapter two, and we are going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. All right. Now, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to, not, saying to one another, whatever Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the believer. We see as Acts 2 continues to unfold, uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, getting up and preaching the good news about what's happened and what they can experience in Jesus. People's hearts are cut to the core and 3,000 people are, uh, are baptized that day deciding they wanna follow Jesus. There's a, there's a great outpouring of the Spirit. The church is birthed on that day as these people began devoting themselves to God, coming together for prayer, for worship. And, and so we have this beautiful reviving of the people of God. One of the, probably the most notable revival in all of the Bible is the, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people at, at, the, at the very moment when, when many scattered, when, when many thought, okay, this Jesus was just another, another guy who's now, now gone in the wind or whatever, but now the, the Holy Spirit has come. Uh, Jesus is raised from the dead. This gift that the Father promised that Jesus spoke about is here, and it revives God's people in the church is born. So we have this beautiful revival that's happening. And as I said earlier, in, in any of the, the, the uh, preceding time leading up to revival, you can look, as we have over the last several weeks, at different things that precipitated it in the, in the people of God. How they positioned themselves, readied themselves, whether it's desperation, uh, the, the cry of their heart, with the recognition of sin, the turning back to God's word, you know, these different things. And today, I want to highlight how God poured his spirit out on a unified people. It begins here in, in verse one. We're gonna look at verse one. The day of Pentecost had fully come and they were all with one accord in one place. Now, many of the translations that you're reading today uh, say, say something about they were all together in one place. That, that word there is a little bit of a, of a mouthful in the Greek, it's hamathumadon. Okay, so hamathumadon. And that word is often translated together. And, and it's right, and, but it doesn't, in the English, give us the fullness of what's being communicated here in, in the book of Acts. Because when we read that, it's like, oh, they were all together in one place. Just like, we're all here together in one place. We would just look at it, it's like it's speaking locationally of where people are sitting or standing or gathering or eating or whatever they're doing. They're, they were all together in that place. But the, the connotation of this word is so much more than locale, okay? So it's, it's actually a, a kind of a compound word, two words put together. Uh, the first meaning rush along, the second in unison, 
to rush along in unison. When I, when I found that out, it sounded a lot like my family. I feel like in the season of life with the eight of us, we're always rushing along and we're just trying to stay together in the midst of it, right? Like we're, we're going here, we're going there, but even if somebody doesn't have a soccer game that morning, we're all gonna go. You're not sleeping, at, we're, we're in this together. Uh, we're in it together. That actually is a phrase that from the, the beginning of our church, especially in the beginning, we used a lot. Like, hey, we wanna be a people who are in it together. And added to that, in it together for him and for them, like for the, for the world. We're in it for him and for who God calls us to reach. And so there's this cry, but that's not just a, a low location cry. Hey, we're in it together because we're in this room. No, we're in it together because our, our hearts are linked together. There, there's something that we're rushing along towards. We're rushing in towards Jesus and the calling of God on our lives together. And so that is the, the connotation of this word. And that's why I picked this particular version of, of scripture because, because it highlights that by saying they were all with one accord in one place. That there was one accord. That they were, they were coming together around this one thing. In fact, this, this word is only used 12 times in the Bible. And 11 of those are in the book of Acts mostly used to describe this group of people, this church that was beginning to grow. There was this word that was describing they were together, but not just in one place, they were in it together. They were of one heart and one mind. In fact, the one place that it's found outside of the book of Acts is in Romans. And I wanna read that to us, Romans chapter 15, verses five and six because it's not talking about a specific people as it is in Acts, but it's describing, kind of gives us a, a description of what's being talked about. It says this, Romans 15, five and six, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, hamathumadon, right? So with one mind, one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's kind of, it's in through imitating Christ and his relationship, how he glorified God the Father, that we might with the same mind toward each other that Jesus had, have one mind and one voice that God might be glorified. So, so this, is, this is the picture. We read a little bit later in Acts chapter two um, with, this, with this word again. It says this in verses 44 through 47. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them, up, uh, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So daily they were with one accord meeting together. This heart, this place of unity, they, they were coming together and there's a couple of things that have happened. First of all, it's, it starts Acts chapter two, they were with one accord and then the Holy Spirit came. Okay, now it's saying they were with one accord gathering together and they enjoyed the favor of all the people and people were actually being added to their number every day. And so there was a place of unity in the spirit, a, a unity of heart an in it together mentality that, that God saw and delighted to pour out his spirit upon. 
and delighted to bring his favor uh, to, to bless uh, among men. Now, one of the things that's interesting when you're reading through the, the early part of Acts in, uh, is that after the, the life, the ministry of Jesus, where he would at times gather thousands of people to come and to, to hear him speak and, and teach, thousands and thousands. We know at least 5,000, and most people believe that at, the, at the feeding of the 5,000, the, the 5,000 numbered were just the men. So there, there could have been many, many more people. So large crowds, right, that gathered to hear Jesus, that were attracted to his teaching and the signs and wonders that were happening. And, and yet we then have uh, Jesus being crucified, um, and, and people scattering. He raised three days later and he, he made himself, uh, there were many witnesses that saw him. And in the end, before he went uh, and was, was ascended into heaven, he told his followers to gather and to pray, to gather in Jerusalem and pray. For there is a mission that needs to be accomplished, but before you accomplish that mission, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So gather together, pray. If you're in, let's do this, okay? It's not, we're not, we're not finished yet. And we're told that 120 gathered to pray. It's always felt like a very small number to me. After, you know, the three years of Jesus ministering on the earth, thousands of people gathering, that, that in the end, when it came down to who's going to pray, who's going to believe, who wants to be a witness of these things, that there were, we're, we're told there were 120 disciples that said we're in. There was 120 then in that upper room that were described as being of one accord. And sometimes I think there, there is the, the narrowing whether it comes by persecution or whether it comes by, uh, you know, the, we, can we really believe these things? Or where did Jesus go? Or he was crucified? Or I thought it was going to look this way. But in the end, there was 120. There was a, a refining of the people of God who came together in one accord so that God might do something significant. We're told in Acts chapter 4, again, it says this in verse 31 through 33, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. For all those who would believe, the multitude now that was gathering and believing, they were of one heart and one soul. And then the, the, the conclusion then was, and, the, and so the great grace of God was upon them all. There's, there's something that we're noticing here, that there's a unity that comes in the hearts uh, and that connects the, the people of God that, that is irresistible to him. When he, when he sees it, it's like ir, irresistible to him. I want, I want to pour out my spirit on those people. I want to show favor to those people. I want them to experience the grace of God in, in their everyday lives. And so there, there is this outpouring of God upon a people that say, we're going to unify around the person of Jesus, around, around who he is and what he's done and what is on his heart. 
I wanna see another example of this that's uh, in Psalm 133, uh, where, where the, the Acts 2 is kind of an outworking of what it looked like in the life of the early church. Uh, in Psalm 133, we have a more poetic version of really the exact same thing. Psalm 133 says this, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. David here expressing these things is, seems to be overwhelmed by the perspective of God when he sees unity. How good and pleasant, really both of those words could be translated beautiful. Some of your versions may have translated that way. So it's just like, how beautiful, oh, it's so beautiful when the people of God come together in unity or, or how, how beautifully good it is, how beautifully pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, those who call on him as father, when those dwell together in unity, it's beautiful. And, and the way I, I picture it is God almost like elbowing the angels. Like, do you see that? Isn't it beautiful? Like, do you, do you see those brothers and sisters? Do you, do you see them? It's so beautiful. And he's just almost overwhelmed with the beauty of unity, true unity between in the, in the church. And it describes it kind of like this. It's, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. So not just a little bit. It's not just a little bit of this anointing oil. So no, it's like, it's like poured out. And in Aaron, it was the, it was the great high, high priest and, uh, or the great priest, the brother brother of Moses, and, and it's like it describes it running over his beard, down onto his clothes, getting kind of drenched in this oil. Well, you know what the Holy Spirit's often referred to as oil, is the, the oil of God, the, the, the oil of the Spirit to be poured out. And so we go back to Acts 2. What happens when unity happens? The Spirit of God is poured out like nobody's ever seen. And there's just this an, an anointing from heaven, this oil of heaven that gets poured out on a people that are of one accord, one heart and one mind centered around the person of Jesus. And, and so you see this beautiful picture, of this oil being poured out without measure. Another picture of it is like the dew, the refreshing dew and waters on, on the mountains of Zion, of Mount Hermon. It's just this picture of, of life, of God pouring himself out. And so you get these pictures and you, you, you see God just being overwhelmed for me, like with an affection. Oh, it's so beautiful. And something in me rises up and like, man, I want, I want to be those people that God looks down on the earth and says, oh, oh, it's so beautiful how they've chosen to love one another, to put aside differences, to lay aside petty this or, or that, uh, preferences, and just said, I, I, want to, I want to go after unity. I um, recently heard, heard a guy share about a, um, 
a time in his own life when, uh, again, kind of a, a marriage example, but where he and his wife had been, you know, having some conflict around this or that. And um, as we all are, uh, want to be right, you know, we, we want to be right. And times we think we're right and we don't want to back down. And in one particular uh, um, t- time like this, he was describing going to God and saying, God, I don't know what to do here. I, don't, I, I, know, I know that I, this is the, the right thing or that, that this is the right, like, and we're having this conflict around it. God, could you, could you just like show her that I'm right or you know, whatever he's praying you know, in this moment. And, and, and he, he feels the conviction of God and God speak to him and say, I don't care who's right. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care who's right. I, I am grieved that you are allowing strife to come up out of your home. I, I'm grieved that you would rather be right and allow strife to, to well up as the fragrance coming out of your home and your marriage to be, to be right. And, and the conviction of God fell on him and he said, it has changed me ever since. When I come into these things, I'm like, okay, God, I, I still have those struggles of wanting to be right and wanting to say and wanting to prove. And, but I, at the end, just like, but, but more than that, I don't want to grieve the spirit of God by allowing strife to enter into my marriage and this union into this home. But I want to honor God. And so it's like, I want, to, I, want to be be- I want my marriage, I want this church to be beautiful before him because we're, we're, we're going after with all that's in us, unity, union as the body of Christ, as the people of God. Well, in Psalm 133, not only is it something that's, that's beautiful, I think it, it's almost like this, it's this, uh, this, it just keeps going like, oh, it's so beautiful. Do you see that? Do you see that? It's so beautiful. And God is getting so overwhelmed that in the end, what does he do? He's like, I command a blessing on that unity. <laughs> like I command a blessing on, on unity. When I see unity like that, it's not just like, oh, it's so pretty and so precious. It's like, no, I command a blessing to come upon that unity. So again, it's that picture in the book of Acts when there's a, a people of one accord in unity, they find the favor of the people. They come under the grace of God. They see the hand of God because what? God commands a blessing on unity. The hand of God, the favor of God comes on unity. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in the heart of God for us to go to deep places of unity in the spirit around the person and the mission of Jesus. Okay, so, so I wanna go here, John chapter 17. Maybe that's where you thought I would start, but we, we, did, we are getting there. Um, it is the high priestly prayer of Jesus that is, uh, that is largely around the subject of unity. And, um, and so this is the part of the prayer where Jesus is praying for us, all those that, that will believe. And, and I wanna read verses 20 through 23. It says, my prayer is not for them alone, his disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you, God, sent me 
and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer for, for unity in the church. Again, I, I think we realize that this unity is not just, oh, we get along. Um, somebody after the first service asked, are we having trouble with unity? Like bickering, I'm like, no, we're, no there's just more. You know, like, oh, we're actually, I think, I think everybody for the most part likes one another, but there's a, there's a, there's a deeper place uh, of unity that God is calling us to. So I'm not addressing uh, like, oh, you know, somebody's being mean to somebody. I, I'm talking about deeper heart issues and, and laying aside petty differences at, at a level that, that we're saying, his kingdom is the kingdom we're living for and none of the kingdoms of this earth, but we're, we're running after him and we're learning how to do it because it's not, it doesn't come naturally to us. And, and so um, here Jesus is praying for it. I'm praying that they would know this kind of oneness, like the kind of oneness that, that you and I know, Father. So it's supernatural. It, it's supernatural. And, and so he's praying, praying for us. And, and here's an interesting a perspective of this is that this is an unanswered prayer that Jesus prayed. Side note, anybody have one of those? Well, Jesus has been waiting for this one to be answered for like around, what, 2,000 years or something, right? So, so there, there, there are times where like it's an unanswered prayer of Jesus that the church would be operating in this kind of unity where the world would know that Jesus was sent by God because God loves them. But here's the thing we also know is that Jesus' prayer will not always remain unanswered, that his prayers will be answered by the Father, that his prayers are prayed in alignment with the will of the Father, so they will be answered. And so for us, it's like, hey, can, maybe we can be an answer to, to the part of this prayer. Could, could we be an answer as the people of God saying, we will unify we wanna come around that kind of unity and, and we've been given opportunity over the last couple of years to, to see the, the kind of, of unity that we don't have, that when things get ruffled around a little bit and, and it's kind of like, it kind of scatter, right? Like, oh, okay, we can't just pretend, or I don't know, there's a deeper something that God has exposed that we have an opportunity to, to run after. And, and, so, uh, and so we have an opportunity to, to to be an answer to the prayer of Jesus. And, 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 and we know it's gonna happen because God's every intention is that the world would know that Jesus is the son and that he is an expression of the love of the father towards all mankind. And so we get an opportunity to be a part of this. And so I just wanna close out here by, by giving us three keys to unity. There's probably a lot more. I'm not even sure these are the most important, but these are the ones that I feel like God is highlighting and are at least a place to start. Okay, the first one we've really already been hitting on and that is, that is mission clarity. And you can add to that persecution, okay? Because to, to be unified, you've gotta be unified around uh, the, the mission of Jesus. Okay, around, around the person and mission of Jesus, okay? And, and, I, and I call it mission even more than person because I, I think there, there's a lot of churches that they're there because of Jesus, to worship Jesus and that, that kind of thing. But it also can become kind of like a spiritual church jacuzzi. You know, it's like, oh, we just like to come. It feels good to be here and we like being here and we go out and do our thing during the week and then we're gonna come back to the jacuzzi on Sunday and, and there, there's, not a, there's not a missional element to say, hey, we're in this together. Because again, it's not just this place. It's not just like, we're just not in the jacuzzi together. No, we're in the mission of God together. 
And I hope this is a jacuzzi in some way where it's like, man, we get built up, we get refreshed, we come together, whatever. But there's also a missional element that says, hey, hey, that binds us together around the person and work of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, and an element of that that, that, really, that really maybe causes mission to be the thing that, that provides greater unity is that when you're on mission, there's persecution. When you're in the jacuzzi, a lot less persecution. But when you say, hey, we're going on mission, the point of the spear, uh, there's going to be pushback. There is going to be persecution. And so in that, there is the, the refining of the people of God. You see it with the 120. Okay, there's only 120 that are in with this mission and this person and this day and hour, and that's gonna pray and just wait and like in, in by faith, and, uh, but, but how is this really gonna happen? But there was 120 that it whittled down and we're gonna be on this mission together. And then they continue to see persecution later in the book of Acts. But part of that is what, what, what allowed them to unify. Because in persecution, you begin to realize who the real enemy is, you know? And, and, and you realize like, oh, me and you are not em- enemies. You know, we, we have a little, maybe a little petty difference here or there, a, a different uh, theological stance on this little side issue or, or, or political perspective on, on this thing. But man, can we get over that to, to, to pursue Jesus and the, the mission at hand in, in the kingdom? Like, and, and so we're, we're going to that place. And when we start getting persecuted, I, I think it just says, hey, we're on the same team. And if, if we're fighting with one another, we've got no chance. You know, if we can't get on the same page about Jesus and his mission, then we've got no chance. And so persecution, even throughout church history, has actually, while not fun for the church, has brought a, a sharpening edge, has brought a unity, and has brought a potency to the church. The next key to unity is honor, honor uh, honoring the church and honoring one another. Um, you know, there's a, a lot that could be negatively said about the church. Um, there's a lot that, of deficit in the, the church, the, 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 the church at large. There's a lot of things that, that need to be improved in this church. You know, there's a lot of holes. There's a lot of things that we're learning and growing in uh, over, over time and as we walk with God. And yet our response to that has to be honor. You know, we can't come with the place of, of complaint about what the church is not. We've got to come with the place of service to fill in the gap for what it is not. Because anytime you speak poorly of the church, you're only speaking poorly of yourself. I mean, if you consider yourself a part of the church, you know, like, so, so anytime you, you speak poorly of the church, you're speaking poorly of yourself. And so it, it, it's like, hey, we, we've got to be, we've got to go and serve. We, we've got to go and, and do something about it. And, and that, that boils down not just to the church at large, not just to our church uh, here, but to individuals who make up the church and how we treat one another and how we love one another, serve one another, those that have different perspectives, those that have different backgrounds, those you know, that, that we wouldn't maybe see in, in, a, in, a, in a normal pattern of, of our work or, or school or life, but that we would choose this place of, of unity um, and coming together around the person of Jesus and, and not bringing our complaints, bringing up the differences, bringing accusation against people. Now, there's a real danger there in the church 
to bring accusations about how could they do this or how could they think that or all, all these kind of things and, and kind of uh, accusing brothers and sisters. But can I remind you of a little passage of scripture out of Romans 12 that describes Satan as the accuser of the brethren. Okay, that, that's, that's one of the things that he's referred to. He's the accuser of the brethren of, of the church. Let us not find ourselves partnering with Satan by bringing our accusations against the church, against brothers and sisters. Now, there is a way, as we read in Matthew 18, to go to a brother, to go to a sister, to bring up grievances. There's, there's ways to resolve conflicts. I'm not saying like you just have to stuff everything under the rug, but we don't come with the spirit of accusation we come with the spirit of reconciliation, wanting to resolve, okay? And so we've got to find out how to move in the spirit of reconciliation and kick to the curb the spirit of accusation and stop partnering with the accuser of the brethren. Here's one way that Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 11. He says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive, and what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now, forgiveness is a whole other topic that we could spend time talking about, learning about, and, and would probably be very beneficial for all of us. But, but what I read this for is, is talking about the, the, the role of forgiveness, obviously, in unity, that we're going to have to choose to forgive. There are going to be offenses that, that, that we have to choose to, to lay down. There's going to be things that are done wrongly to us, things that are said poorly, um, you know, whatever it is, that there's human nature still involved in this thing. And so we have to learn to forgive. But what I really wanted to read this passage for is to, to see it the way that Paul saw it. He, he, saw, he sees it as the scheme of the enemy. We've got to choose to forgive one another, guys. We've got to choose to forgive. We've got to choose to, to lay aside the differences, the, the wrongs, and, and not let Satan outwit us because he wants to bring division. He wants to bring division. Do you think he wants a unified church? Do you think he wants the blessing of God to be poured out, to be commanded? The spirit of God to be poured out like oil running down all over us with the anointing of heaven? No. And so he's, he's seeking for this. So don't let him outwit you saying, well, I just, I want to be true to my feelings. I got to, this is what I feel. And so you better believe they're going to hear it or I'm feeling this so that I'm going to hold on to this bitterness or I'm going to hold on to this, this viewpoint until, until death, you know, or whatever it is. Like uh, rather than saying, no, I'm not going to let Satan outwit me by allowing my feelings to control me when God is looking for somebody to honor him above their feelings. Like to honor, I want to honor God. I don't want to, I don't have to pay tribute to my feelings and honor them and make sure that, no, I want to honor God. Let my feelings come under that. And then how can I bring reconciliation and, and see unity come from the place of honoring God, worshiping God, dwelling in his presence so that I get the correct perspective Ultimately, it requires this one last thing. 
in, as we make a covenant of unity. That, that's really what we're talking about in, in marriage. We're talking about a union where you've, you've covenanted with, with your spouse to dwell in unity. To become one is how you describe it in marriage, the same way as Jesus prays in John 17, right? That they might become one as you and I are one, Father, right? And so it's like this, this unity that's, that's actually oneness. So you have this covenant of, of oneness and, and not just for marriage, but for, for the church. And, and this is what this, this passage in Hebrews is talking about covenant. And, and when, we, when we make a covenant, a covenant of unity, a covenant with, with our spouse, what, whatever it might be, and, and this is what it says. Hebrews 9, verse 16 through 18, for where there is a covenant, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when people are dead. For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even in the first covenant, the old covenant, it, it, even the first covenant was not, was, inaugurated, was not inaugurated without blood. So even in the Old Testament, the covenant that God made with his people was inaugurated by the sacrifice of, of animals. And that's how the covenant was established. In the new covenant, which Hebrews is, is, is the new covenant was enacted at the, at the death of Christ. So it is with any covenant that we will not see a covenant of unity established until you die. Die to what? Yourself. It's, it's death to self. It is the, the sacrifice of self on, on the altar. And, and that, that's, that's true of marriage. If, you're, if you want your way, you know, as a single person and how you got to do what you wanted to do when you wanted to do it and your opinion was the only one that mattered because you're the only one that had to deal with it or whatever else like, and now it's like, wait, I've got to compromise or I've got to learn, I've got to bend, I've got to mold. Like, no, I want my way. I like my way. I think I'm right. You need to die to yourself or that covenant's not gonna work out very well in the end. There's gotta be a, a death to self to enact the covenant of unity. And so there's a question for us this morning. What, what, what are the areas I need to die to myself and my opinions and my thoughts and the way I see a religion having to work itself out and how that partners with the kingdoms of this world versus just getting my eyes fixed on Jesus and his kingdom. And God, how do you wanna rearrange that? Mission, honor, and ultimately dying to ourself. It's the way Jesus enacted the new covenant with us. And today, actually, we're gonna finish up by taking communion during response. Communion simply means with together, oneness and union. Communion with oneness or together in union, coming around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everything else falling off to the side. Every other petty thing, every other preference, bowing a knee before Almighty God. Who's willing to go after that? Who's willing to go after it? Today, the way that we're gonna respond is by 
allowing you whenever you feel ready to take communion. So we're not gonna do it all together at once like we regularly do, but today we're just gonna encourage you to go to God and say, God, search my heart. God, what does it look like for me to, to give myself to, to biblical unity on, on which you would look upon and say is beautiful, um, on which you would look upon and command blessing pour out your spirit. How can I contribute to that? And what are the things in me that I need to lay aside and lay down? Where have my opinions become too lofty, God? So why don't you go ahead and stand with me? And as we have been doing throughout the course of this series, we're just opening up the front to be like an altar, just to come and say, God, here I am. If that word of death resounded with you, maybe you need to come to the altar. If there's something God's stirring in you, just like I wanna, I wanna, I wanna bring that and I wanna lay down myself, you can just become coming, begin coming down right now. And there's communion elements up here on the stage. So you don't even have to go back to your chair if you didn't bring it down. Just to, when you're ready, just saying, God, here I am. But I, but I want us to take a moment before taking community, uh, before taking communion to say, God, where do I need to be given to unity? in your body. There's some here this morning that as we talk about the love of Jesus, his, his blood on the cross, his death for us, you, you, don't have, you don't understand what that means. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God, but it was Jesus who lived a sinless life, perfect in every way, the only one undeserving of death that gave up his life so that we, the guilty ones, could actually be forgiven and experience life. And God, in his great love for you, sent Jesus, his son, so that we could know him and experience life in him. If there is something of that that just rings true that, and you have questions about, there's gonna be some of our ministry team members here on this side wall and over here on this side wall. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that. And if there's any other thing that you need prayer for, that you walk in here just carrying a burden, we wanna make sure that we offer anytime we get together an opportunity for you to just receive prayer. So our ministry team members will be on the side. And as I said, this front's just gonna be an altar. If you need to come and just get on your knees before God, you come and do that, but let's not leave this place without responding to God.